Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. Welcome to the 905er. It has been a whirlwind couple of months in Ontario politics. In breakneck speed, the Doug Ford government has pushed through legislation that will reshape the physical nature of our province, as well as the relationship between Queen's Park and the municipalities of the 905 in Ontario at large. The More Homes Built Faster Act will carve up the Greenbelt and hand it over to developers, while at the same time potentially crippling municipalities by denying them badly needed revenues to meet the needs of those new developments. It is an act like most of the laws passed by this government that has angered the province. From grassroots organizations to environmentalists to municipal governments, there doesn't seem to be a group in this province that is on board with the act, aside from developers, of course. One of the organizations which has come out in opposition to Bill 23 is the Association of Municipalities of Ontario, or AMO, as it is more affectionately called. AMO is the body through which the province and municipalities are able to interact and address the complex needs and interests of the towns, villages, and cities which make up the places that we live. AMO has publicly stated that municipalities stand to lose up to $5 billion a year in development fees from the bill along with the untold cost to potential flooding or other disasters down the road due to the stripping of powers from conservation authorities. As this law potentially reshapes the relationship between municipalities and Queen's Park for the foreseeable future, we reached out to AMO to invite them on to give a detail about their position on Bill 23 and what the impact could be on the places we live over the next few years. Today, we are joined by Amber Crawford, a senior policy analyst with AMO, to join us on the podcast. Okay, let's thank uh, Amber Crawford of the Association of Municipalities for Ontario uh, for coming on the uh, the podcast today. Uh, thank you, uh, Amber, for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the 905er. You're welcome, and thanks, and thank you for having me. Let's uh, let's dive into it. For our listeners who are not familiar with the phrase "amo" means, could you? Just tell us what is AMO's role and purpose in the province of Ontario? Absolutely. So uh, AMO, for for those that don't know, uh, was actually established in 1899. So quite quite a number of years ago. Uh, it was to establish regular meetings between the province and the municipalities even back then. It's gone through some iterations, uh, but has been known as AMO since 1982. Uh, it's unique in Canada uh, from other provincial and territorial organizations in the sense that it has a signed memorandum of understanding with the government of Ontario uh, and we're nonpartisan. And so it's been enshrined in municipal, uh, the Municipal Act since 2005 and it's very important to us. Um, we're nonprofit, nonpartisan. We represent all the interests of the 444 municipal governments. Another fun fact is the city of Toronto has its own act uh, and so is not a member, but we work very close in tandem with them on a variety of different files. But a bit of a um, uh, fun facts about the membership itself. Um, there are about 60% of our members that have less than 10,000 in population. And of those, a large percentage, so 186 of those have less than 5,000 in population, so quite small. We've got 32% that have between between 10,000 and 900 um, or 99,999 in population and then about just under 10 have over 100,000 population. Um, geographically, we also span long distances from Windsor to Kenora is a 17 hour drive or about 1600 kilometers and Toronto to Moosonee is about a 12 hour flight. So uh, as you can imagine, anything that we do province wide, uh, we work on common challenges. 
we advocate to the province and, and sometimes to the federal government about things that commonly affect our residents um, and provide advice to the government. And housing is obviously one of those top issues at the moment. Speaking of housing, uh, my understanding is Amos seems pretty united in your position on Bill 23, which is the Building More Homes Faster Act, which was recently passed uh, at Queen's Park. Can you, can you tell us, give us what Amos' official position is on Bill 23, just so we're all on the same footing going forward? Sure. So first and foremost, uh, we do agree that there is an urgent uh, crisis in housing supply and housing affordability. Uh, we think the province's goal of building 1.5 million homes in 10 years or by 2031 is a laudable one. Uh, the bill is obviously substantive. Uh, it had made changes to about 10 different acts um, and the changes uh, some of them we saw um, that were positive and we can speak to those uh, we felt like they did get some right and then there are uh, a series of sort of comments and, and buckets or themes if you will that I take you through in terms of what those united positions are I mean one is the changes that were made um, to the finances piece uh, really makes it harder for municipalities to recover costs associated with growth um, and so that includes development charges but also parkland dedication uh, community benefit charges. So it's, a, again, all of these things have sort of sub items. And as a policy wonk, I'll try not to uh, I'll keep it high level if I can. Uh, so there's the finance piece. The land use planning piece in terms of what a community's livability looks like has also been uh, quite impacted. Uh, things about certain upper tier municipalities have a reduced role as do conservation authorities. And so uh, there's questions around what that looks like in the new, the new world, especially given uh, the previous bills that preceded these, including Bill 109 that just came out in the spring. Um, and then finally, the environmental impacts. Uh, so more changes to the Conservation Authorities Act, which we had just sort of um, landed on some new changes, uh, but also on the Planning Act in, in a time when really uh, municipalities are seized with climate change, uh, mitigation and adaptation. There are concerns uh, that this bill uh, diminishes the role for us to, uh, to have the ability to protect the environment. So that's an overview, but happy to take additional questions on that yeah definitely i think dive into some of the detail and some of these because certainly the uh, development charges piece has, has got kind of the most attention in the media and that, that that part of the story has kind of reached the public fairly well um on the parkland and community benefits side um you know community benefits are traditionally a way in which uh, um, municipalities kind of do a deal with a developer to say okay you can have this if you give us that. Um, so so what, what's changing there with, with the Parkland piece and the community benefits piece? So um, the way that it's, it's sort of devised is that there are costs associated with building generally. Um, and so we call them like sort of developer related charges uh, that are changing in, in exempting certain types of buildings. And so it just means that um, costs normally that would be attributed to developers or a growth paying for growth um, will now not happen. And so there are two choices for municipalities, either to sort of reduce the service level or uh, to cover it through their own sort of property taxes. Okay. So uh, and in essence, I mean, there's been some more information coming out in the last sort of 24 hours, um, particularly with regard to Toronto, as I understand it. But, but in essence, this is a cost that were previously paid by, by developers, by the people, who, and ultimately the, by the people who will buy houses, and now being downloaded onto cities to pay. I mean, the, those costs still are, have to be paid. Um, so... If, if the developer doesn't pay them, if the home buyer doesn't pay them, then 
we the taxpayer have to pay them is, is that a correct understanding uh yes i think it's um it's certainly part of the the costs associated with building fire halls community centers places that really truly make some place to live work and play attractive to to its residents uh there are costs that are born in terms of um, hard and soft infrastructure so um those conversations are happening i mean i will say to your point in the last 24 hours uh we we also received a letter on november 30th from the minister uh from minister clark which was uh welcomed news to suggest that there was going to be uh municipal Municipalities were going to kept whole um, on that funding, um, and that there should be quote no funding shortfall for housing enabling infrastructure as a result of Bill 23, uh, provided municipalities achieve and exceed their housing pledge levels and growth targets. And so those also came out um, a few weeks ago, and they sort of determine the sort of um, I'd say about 29 large municipalities and where where those housing targets are going of those 1.5 million. So lots to digest, but as you say, it's uh, a lot of things are shifting. Um, on that note, when we're talking about uh, the story now is Toronto shortfall is going to be covered by a third of the of the province. Uh, or, sorry, the province will cover a third of Toronto's short budget shortfall, and it sounds like they're looking to extend that uh, to other municipalities affected by this. Kind of taking a step back, though, you know, it's is this isn't now a structural change that we need to embrace that. You know, are, are you are you expecting this will be the case for every fiscal year going forward that the province will have to step in and basically bail out municipalities uh, in terms of their their operating shortfalls going forward? So one key difference is that the Toronto letter is separate from the AMO letter in that way. So it doesn't have the same commitment for one. Um, but for two, I think the. Um, the intent uh, that municipalities are sort of putting forward is that we want to be at the table. We want to build housing. No one is saying that um, we're not part of the game. I just think it's the idea that everyone has a role to play, um, all three levels of government and the development industry. Um, and so in terms of what we're bringing forward, I mean, we've put forward a blueprint um, in February, uh, which you know, brings up about 90 recommendations from all levels of government and the development sector about how we can improve these things. So while the finance piece is obviously an important one and top of mind, certainly as municipal councils, A, get sworn in for the first time for many of them um, and start working on their budgets. Um, that's sort of a short-term piece, but there's much, much more to this bill too. And as I say, the preceding bill and the other housing supply action plans. So, you know, it, it sounds almost like we're re- the, the relationship between the province and municipalities is really being redefined going forward on this. Um, you know, housing just, it's such a complex and huge issue and, and there's no, there's so many ways you can, you can approach it and solve it. And, and I agree that all these people need to be brought to the table. And I'm wondering, you know, what's the province's response to that? Because quite frankly, this, I, I think what Amo's proposing is kind of where this, this should have been done in the first place. Everybody at the table, how do we solve this massive policy, fiscal resource problem in our province? And this hasn't happened. I'm wondering, like, what, you know, what, what is the province's response to your proposal? So the... The response so far um, has been the letter in response, which we again appreciate. Um, in terms of the broader conversation, I think this has stemmed much uh, much before Bill 23. 
Um, I think it's something that we've we've really tried to cement a, a collaborative relationship. And so uh, being obviously not the province, uh, we are responsible for implementing bills that they come up with. And so uh, what we're really trying to do is implement it in a way that supports our municipalities and the residents that, um, that quite frankly, elect them. Um, there are quite a few across the province. And so individual municipalities are putting forward their own comments about what the province can do to help. Um, but at this point, I think uh, recognizing that the bill has passed, uh, we're really focused on working with um, conservation authorities and other people across the across the province uh, to make sure that the changes that are being implemented um, are done in an effective way as much as possible and, and are keeping municipalities as whole as possible. I mean, you also, and obviously the, yeah, the position that the that AMO is in is you have to be diplomatic to extend. I mean, you're there to to um, put your case, but uh, but uh, the act is now an act. It's no longer a bill and, uh, and you have to live with it. But I just want to put the sort of point to you, I mean, there's a couple of things that that have seemed to to us to be sort of regular uh, regular problems with the development process that the provincial government has at no point attempted to address. Uh, like everything they do appears to be to reduce, they would perhaps call it red tape, whatever you want to call it, reduce reduce the kind of regulatory oversight that, that can delay development, uh, but not to put any kind of pressure in other areas to encourage developers to actually develop. So, you know, we have a huge number of delays are caused by appeals to L what was the LPAT, what was the OMB. Um, uh, and, and I always think it was like, well, you know, maybe if, if the official plans, which are after all official and which are approved by the province um, and by uh, upper tier uh, municipalities, if we just stuck to whatever they say, and didn't appeal against them, then everything would go be built much faster. I mean, we, the fact is, we 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 waste years of time uh, in appeals uh, to um, I can't even remember what it's called this week. What used to be LPAT? The Ontario <laughs> Land Tribunal. There we go. Yeah. The OLT. <laughs> it's changed so often that I, I struggle to keep up. <laughs> You're doing well. You're doing well. <laughs> I mean, I think the um, the the one positive that we saw in terms of the land tribunal was an increased capacity to clear the backlogs. That's certainly been something that we in our blueprint had had requested. This idea that um, obviously COVID um, has really impacted uh, the caseload already. Um, that's certainly something to to work towards. I think in terms of um, what developers can do, um, talking about what a complete application means and standardizing that um, and putting it to uh, to the developers to stick to similar timelines that municipalities have been asked to do is one. Another area that we've been advocating for is that um, line ministry, so the province itself works on sort of a one window approach or um, making it so that it's easier for um, the planning and development approval process to come from start to finish fast across all things and I think it's just the premise that the onus is on municipalities to speed up processes that we're not ultimately responsible for uh, is is obviously a piece of the puzzle but we're looking forward uh, to next year to, to working on what those other pieces could look like do you think you know, the implication of all of this is that it's the, the municipalities that are the barrier here this is the implication that I take from everything that the the province has done 
that the municipalities are just delaying they're too slow they're they don't like change they're they're run by nimbies or whatever therefore we've got to get all that out of the way and the fact that it's democracy and it's whatever is, is by the way we, we wipe that out and then all our problems are solved meanwhile we have developers who are sitting on thousands and thousands and thousands of existing approvals that they are not building um What's going on with that? Because I mean, it's like, again, the, 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 the cities have had their timelines shortened. You know, everything can be appealed if you don't get it, um, if you don't hit it within your timeline. Um, I mean, things tend to be appealed anyway if they're any size um, because they'll go beyond the official plans. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the developers get the approval, they've got everything they want, and then they sit there for two, three, four, five, six, seven years not building. Um, what's you know, do you do you think that that, that you know do you, does they does they think that, that that's really a part of the equation that needs to be looked at? Absolutely, it is it is a factor, and I think some of the numbers that we've seen um, as recently as a few days ago is the number two hundred eighty five thousand units that are approved and and not built, and so. Um, you know, that, that gets into a number of things about the supply of land and the Greenbelt proposal and the suggestion that instead of um, looking at the Greenbelt, perhaps looking at some of those units um, and better understanding where it is that they sit um, and working on those pieces of it. Um, but you're right. I think there's a lot of um, a lot of pieces to this puzzle that quite frankly, municipalities um, are on the hook for being the the implementer of some of these things, when in fact, there are many different um, factors. I would also say currently there's 156 um, open planning uh, for planner uh, um, jobs right now across Ontario. And so it gets also to the point of where's the supply going to come from, not only of the building materials um, and the land itself, but who's actually going to process those applications. So that's something that we're we're very familiar with and trying to also advocate for um, additional staff and resources at our municipalities to do those. I mean, to the extent, this is a question for, for, for the development industry rather than for AMO, but um, do you think... Um, do developers have a motivation to increase supply to such a degree that they reduce house prices, uh, do you think? I don't know. As not a developer, I, I can't... Uh, I can say I, it's a slightly unfair question for you. <laughs> I can't speak to that, unfortunately. I'm not... Uh, I'm not but I would, I would say that I think um, the, the pro- province's housing affordability task force report that came out did suggest that land itself was not the issue. The supply of land, uh, was not necessarily, um, directly involved in the, in increasing the supply of housing. But, um, I know a lot of our municipalities work quite well with developers. And so, um, whether that be the, the six months extension that was provided under bill 109 for those gradual fee refunds, uh, we're, we're choosing to focus on the positive and moving forward and, and hoping, um, that's some goodwill through these these changes in the legislation that now we have to implement um, is now um, understood by the rest of the the sectors and and they can help us out as well. I, I just wanted to dive in quickly um, uh, on that that phrase "kept whole" because that's quite interesting. Isn't it so that the will you'll be kept whole. You're not going to be in a financial uh, difficulties because of the loss of development fees. And the condition, if I understand rightly from what you said, is as long as cities meet their development targets, um, how, how, first of all, how, how are those targets kind of judged and, and when? Because 
if you, if, it, if it's con contingent on hitting a target, then when then that means the city's not going to get its money until that uh, the test has been held, so to speak. Um, but how do you think that will actually work in practice? Well, I think that remains to be seen, and I think the um, given that this letter sort of just just came out a couple days ago, I think the um, the first piece that we need to look through is, um, and I know municipalities are already starting to do this, but the ones on the list, um, how realistic are those numbers um, based on on true fact and historical data? Um, I know each individual municipality has those and and are sort of working on those, while at the same time bringing new councils up to speed, right? As as the organization that represents elected officials as well. There's a lot of onboarding as well um, that staff have to do. So I could imagine it's it's sort of top of mind for them now that they've tied um, this funding to the housing targets. Um, but in terms of who I, um, who I haven't heard very much about um, the accuracy on either one side or the other, I think it's still a very open question. I wanted to touch base a bit on, on the relationship between the municipalities and the province, because I can't think of any municipality in the 905 that I've read that has said, yay, this is just what we needed. Most municipalities have, have said the, the short, the shortfall in, uh, in funding opportunities and the, basically the insertion into the green belt and the, and the, uh, taking away of powers of conservation authorities to get this thing put through. And I, I may look old, but I'm not that old. And I remember back in the 90s, the Tory government then downloaded a lot of responsibilities onto the municipalities that municipalities were not happy with. Uh, and they spent a lot of time trying to figure out a way to give those responsibilities back up to the up to the province. And I'm, I'm wondering, kind of twofold, like, are we seeing a repeat of that somewhat, you know, downloading the cost of development onto the municipalities and then saying to the municipalities, figure it out, make it work for us, and we're just going to cram this through. And is that harming the relationship between the province, uh, sorry, between Queen's Park and the various municipalities uh, in the 905 and Ontario as a whole? So I think the, well, I think what I would say is that the relationship between the province and municipalities, um, given that we've existed for for many decades and have been in in the act since 2005 it is a very important agreement to us um do we agree all the time uh not uh but that is the the will of individual councils and so in terms of the relationship changing i think um this is again not the first time that a bill like this has come through i mean we've had this is the third housing supply action plan um and the fourth bill that's come through and so i think more what you're seeing is a frustration from municipalities to say there's a lot of change on the horizon and just as sort of we're getting our feet out from under us the sand seems to shift again and so the the reconciliation or the recognition that there is a lot of work underpinning each and every one of these changes um, is something that that I think that's more the frustration I think that you're they're hearing from from the province and I'll leave it to the elected councils to uh, to put forward their their thoughts of course of course <laughs> yeah uh, I was just I mean another element of, of this whole story is, is the kind of normal uh, process of, of democratic uh, legislation and decision making um, first of all that that it seems to me that that 
municipalities in in Canada are in a really difficult situation because they, they are in this this odd situation where they are they are you know the famous phrase creatures of the province, um, and kind of from a legislative point of view, they have exactly the same kind of clout as as the ministry uh, as a ministry does because the province can just anything you decide can be overturned by the province pretty much. Um, I mean, do you agree with that kind of perception that that the you know in other countries, uh, other levels of government can't simply do this uh, the way that that happens in Canada with with the municipal relationship with the province? In Ontario, that is that is the case, right? Like, it is the we are the implementers of of certainly provincial legislation, and so um, we have seen things change. We've seen sort of some of these changes even to Bill Twenty Three come into effect, and so um, so as I can't speak to other countries, I certainly do feel like that is um, that has always been our relationship is to uh, to try to put the the best advice forward um, to the province about how municipalities run and and the various roles that we have. I know elected councils um, are not only stewards, but they're they're advocates for their own residents. And so all we can do is is sort of put um, our best comments forward and comment on legislation and and in hopes that uh, that it informs future proposals or changes existing. And, and Bill 23 has gone from, I mean, the, the, this is nothing. So there the, were, the, my understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, the AMO was, was, was not invited to the to the uh, to the legislative committee where this was where in you know, normal course of things um, you have committee stage where where experts come in and they talk about the legislation and say well we like this we don't like this the legislation is then altered improved and hey in an ideal world you end up with a better act um, my understanding that AMO, AMO was 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 not invited, first of all, uh, which seems unusual. That's correct. And, and and the bill itself was introduced, it seems like weeks ago, and we've gone from bill to act in in uh, no time at all. I mean, this is a very um, major act that, like you say, affects uh, six other pieces of major legislation. Um, and it's kind of gone through the legislature at the speed of um, kind of rocket speed. Uh, is that a good way to legislate, do you think? Um, I think the I could comment on the timing of it, of the fact that it, it was introduced um, towards the end of October. And I think it, it um, I counted 25 business days, I think, from the introduction to its passage. Um, in terms of speaking, I mean, we were fortunate to be invited to the legislature outside of the standing committee time to give a presentation. And then uh, we felt that was that was very helpful. And our, our president and our executive director had provided the same comments that we would have at standing committee. Um, but I think in the, at the end of the day, um, we are the, the level of government that needs to implement whatever comes in as fast or as slow as possible. And I think the, uh, the true test of good relationships between both levels of government is that these conversations don't just happen at standing committee, but certainly uh, throughout the, the days and days, um, not only leading up to the royal ascent, but obviously going forward and how we, we position it well um, for our members, um, recognizing that uh, it's reality. So and you'd hope, you know, before before the bill was even tabled, uh, you know, a major piece of legislation like this would, would go through months, if not years, of kind of consultations and uh, and discussions. 
uh, I suspect I know what the answer is going to be, but did, did, did those happen as far as you're aware? <laughs> Well, there was because the um, the first uh, piece of the housing um, continuum, if you will, uh, was started in 2018. I think the the province would say that they have been consulting throughout. Uh, they certainly have had conversations at certain things, but in terms of Bill 23, um, could not say necessarily the specifics of of um, of the bill in particular for that. Um, but I think there is. Uh, the province would say that there there has been a lot of consultation and i'm not sure if if municipalities would agree on this particular bill um but here we are uh, uh, john Lorenk, who, who writes often about sort of municipal things and and uh, kind of uh a well-known uh writer on issues of urbanism and things like that uh, he made an argument in, in in spacing magazine uh which i thought was very interesting he's like well you know toronto shouldn't be moaning about losing um uh, development fees when you know they have uh, they have ways of of earning of raising money that they haven't been using. You know they could be they have the ability to put additional tax onto uh, onto cars and and things like this, and they they cancelled that. I mean, is uh, does that argument actually hold true for other municipalities? I don't think, as far as I'm aware, um, other municipalities can't do that kind of thing. So they That's don't right. have those other. Um, so they're really you know, development fees are one of the, you know, that there's direct tax and there's development fees and, that, and that's, that's right. kind of it. Yeah. Okay. That was a, a quick, a fantastically quick and succinct answer. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's, so Toronto is so different in, in, in how it operates that, that really, uh, I think that's an important point to make. I was just going to say, I noticed we're coming up on our half hour uh, time window, and I don't want to take too much of your time, uh, uh, Amber, because I know you have to have to go. Um, do we have, do we have a, a final question, Roland, or or? Uh, I I could go on all day. Um, I know uh, you could. That's, that's what I'm saying. Uh, do you have a final question? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, again, I, this is not a fair question to ask someone uh, who's sort of representing AMO because it's asking you to kind of make up policy on the fly, but. Do you think you know, would would a world where the cities were actually trusted more to make decisions uh, with fewer appeals, um, with, with less second guessing, if you like, of 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 the rules which are kind of you know that the, the municipalities uh, run by, would that not actually be better in the long run for a kind of smooth? and non-confrontational kind of process with developers. It seems to me so much of the delay arises from this kind of, um, from this kind of contest that has to happen before a development can be built. Um, do you think that's got any, any validity to it? I think the idea that municipalities are a mature order of government is certainly first and foremost our principle. Um, I think over the decades, planners have done um, a really good job at, um, you know, taking on some of these responsibilities and using them um, in the best ways that they see fit. And obviously at um, the behest of the councils that, that ultimately um, they serve. And so I think what we've seen is this generational shift um, in the planning world in general. And so I think what remains to be seen in, in terms of what the changes look like um, across the spectrum is uh, what does this look like and how does this improve the system, uh, be it appeals or the time it takes in, in process 
processing these things. And I think I generally, I would, I would leave with the fact that every level of government and the development industry uh, needs to come together. There was a housing supply affordability uh, plan implementation team that was municipally led and announced in August. Um, and so I, I would, you know, as a, as a personal, um, you know, and also AMO would agree, um, that team was really um, a great vehicle to start some of these changes, um, recognizing that uh, we all are in the, uh, we all serve the public interest and in, in trying to get people um, that live in our communities' homes um, across the full spectrum, right? Market housing is, is just what one interest and um, and one aspect, it's important, no less, but uh, our, our communities are facing a lot of different issues uh, coming out of COVID and certainly before that. So that's um, that's certainly our um, our priority. Okay, well, thank, we'll leave, thanks so much. Yeah. We'll leave that as the final word. Uh, thank you very much, Amber, for uh, taking the time to come on and uh, uh, have this chat with us about, uh, about development, which is kind of what we do nowadays. <laughs> Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.